The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this hour. Airbus lifts its full-year outlook as third-quarter profit falls less than expected, with a European plane maker benefiting from pandemic cost cuts. Shell faces activist anger after hedge fund Third Point builds a reported $750 million stake and calls for a breakup of its assets, labelling the oil major's strategy incoherent. Canada's central bank abruptly scraps its pandemic-era bond-buying programme, while markets on this side of the Atlantic await the latest ECB decision, with inflation at a 13-year high. And as earnings season hits its peak here on Squawkbox, we'll bring you the view from the C-suite with top voices from Skanska, Solvay, Accor, Clarion, Volkswagen, WPP and Magnet. Morning, everyone. It is uh, what a super Thursday here. We've got super, earnings which means we're busy yeah. with corporate earnings because we were really basically. quiet for the start of the week. So yeah, and, and there's so many other things change. to talk about: the yield curve, the Bank of Canada, yeah. Poland, and the fine. Coal I mean, the miners. news flow is just phenomenal. Coal mines in China, yeah. another hot topic. But I guess we double down on earnings. Exactly. Uh, let's just get into Unicredit. Uh, don't forget we're talking about that failed deal uh, to take over Monte de Paschke earlier in the week that uh, negotiations had broken down. The company now reporting numbers uh, for the third quarter underlying net profit of 1.1 billion euros. Net interest uh, has crossed at 2.27 billion versus uh, a profit uh, for 2. 2.1 billion in the average company provider consensus. Uh, what we've got uh, around those net fees, 1.65 billion versus uh, the 1.62 seen uh, in consensus. So this is a beat on that particular line. So a beat on net interest and a beat on net fees. 2021 revenues, uh, that is seen at 17.5 billion euros for this year versus a previous guidance of 17.1 billion. So it is guiding higher on revenues for the year. So that's an upgrade to the outlook. The Q3 net loan write downs, 297 million euros versus 523 million uh, seen in consensus. Uh, so uh, that is also uh, what we're seeing an improvement here in terms of write downs. Uh, a lot of positives are uh, produced by Andre Orsel today. The fully loaded CDT1 ratio at 15.5% and uh, the big lines there, I think, too, if you take a look at uh, what we're seeing elsewhere, gross NPA ratio at 4.5% in the third quarter of 2021 and that fully loaded uh, level of CDT1 at 15.5%. So uh, quite a buffer there. Coverage ratio for 57.1% in the third quarter. I'm still looking for some lines here on the commentary if I dive a little bit further into the numbers uh, because they are looking like a fairly decent set versus where expectations in the market were uh, versus uh, the company's uh, own expectations as well. So uh, quite a lot of positives here. 
from the company as they report today, Jeff? My um, question would be, is it all in the price? And that's, I think, a, a, a difficult question for a lot of investors to get a fulsome answer to as they look at the recovery in the banking stocks in Europe. And Unicredit has been phenomenal, uh, 80% upside on a one-year view here. And some of that has been about the broad recovery and expectations around the banking stocks. But I think for Unicredit, there are two other issues at play. One has been the broader feel good that the Italian economy has seen, particularly at the corporate level with Mario Draghi, uh, apparently a technocrat now in charge of bringing some sanity to the financial architecture of the Italian economy. And I think the other point really is that um, Italy has been in a process of restructuring its banking sector since the global financial crisis. And it does feel like um, this failed deal is kind of like the final bit of the jigsaw puzzle. Yes. Um, and at the moment, the fact, I think, that Unicredit is saying, sorry, these terms just don't work for us. I think is encouraging for investors who are looking at this and thinking, well, how much does the state take and how much does Unicredit end up having to restructure itself? And will that be a drag on earnings here? And at the moment, it seems that uh, uh, Andrea Orsell is dancing clever and is managing to avoid ending, ending up with the, it's like, you know, pass the parcel. Usually it's a good thing. But uh, in this case, it may not be the bundle that he actually wants to take for the bank. Depends if it's a birthday pass parcel or whether it's a Halloween pass the parcel, whether you want it to stop with you. But I also just want to pick up on some of those points you made about whether you sell now because you've seen the best of it. I think also might be a step ahead of some of those concerns uh, that penciled into the diary the 9th of December this year for a new strategic plan to be presented at a virtual strategy day. So telling investors there's more around the corner when it comes to strategy. And, of course, on that deal-making front, I think investors will keep a close eye because uh, the BPM, uh, one of the rivals out there, it was dangled as a potential prize too. So I think there's two big factors here for investors maybe to consider what their positioning should be around the stock. It's interesting, just with the comparison that we've got up here, this is, it says banks. We can be a little clearer than that. This is the Eurostoxx Banks Index. So you're getting a blended index of the European banks and that shows you ultimately that Unicredit is pretty much bang on the money with the performance of the overall banking sector in Europe. A little bit of outperformance here, I think, a reflection of some of those trends and themes that we were talking about after that underperformance that we saw previously. It normally goes the other direction, though, doesn't it, when we talk yeah. about European banks? It's normally going down, it's yes. not normally going up. So it's been quite an instrumental year for the, those the in the space. The, <laughs> the important bit is what happens over the next 12 right. months, of course, doesn't it, here? But um, let's talk about ABA uh, InBev. Uh, earnings. Uh, Anheuser-Busch, this is the uh, brewing business. Very different kind of performance we've seen in this brewery company. We talked about 80% upside over the 12-month story for Unicredit. You've still had gains, but we're only up about 9%. And I think that's a reflection of some of the uh, headwinds that we've talked about around the um, emerging market exposure for some of these brewery businesses. But the messaging coming through, momentum continues with top and bottom line growth ahead of pre-pandemic levels. The full year 2021 outlook, we expect our EBITDA to grow between 10 and 12% and our revenue to grow ahead of EBITDA from a healthy combination 
of volume and price. And the price element there is important because we continue to look at these underlying input cost pressures and ask how are companies managing to weather that storm. And this is a, a statement of confidence, it seems, from Anheuser-Busch here. EBIT margin in at 28.2 for the third quarter EBITDA margin uh, 36.5. The estimate was for 35.8. That is better. The uh, third quarter EBIT in at uh, just over 4 billion US dollars is against 3.7 billion uh, in the estimate. And in terms of the uh, revenue line, 14.2 uh, uh, billion as against the 13.5 billion expectation with a third quarter gross margin of 57.8. Seven. So uh, AB InBev here appearing to uh, hold the line in terms of pricing, underlying profitable attributable to shareholders then 1.7 billion. There will be no interim dividend. The board's proposal with respect to a full year 2021 dividend will be announced with the full year results on the 24th of February 2022. Underlying EPS in at 85 cents. Uh, and let's push on to Airbus. So also out today, it's raising its four-year adjusted EBIT target to 4.5 billion euros after posting over 35 billion euros in sales for the first nine months of 2021. That is a 17% jump on the year before. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, a lot of the language looks positive. It's either unchanged or ramp up or increase. Uh, have you seen anything in these numbers that is a cause for concern at this point? Well, there were two things that people were going to watch. First, as you said, they've upgraded some of their targets that they already uh, updated in the previous quarter. So that's the second time this year that they're upgrading them. So say with EBIT adjusted to 4.5 billion from 4 billion previously and free cash flow before M&A at 2.5 billion and it was 2 billion previously. So again, uh, upgrading the targets. We know that in terms of deliveries, they've delivered 424 uh, planes this year so far, remembering that they're keeping the target of overall deliveries this year to 600. So they will have to do a final push. They have 176 planes left to deliver just in Q4. So that they will need to do a good push, which is usually what they do. Airbus uh, Q4 is really when they, they really produ produce more planes to try to hit the target. But of course, there are some supply chain issues. They mentioned they have unprecedented labor and material strains previously. So this could be maybe putting a little bit this in danger. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what if they can really reach that number. Uh, another element is how they change. Remember in May, they published some really aggressive production target ramp up for the A320 plane in particular, which is their bestseller plane, the bestseller narrow uh, body plane in the world. And um, there'd been some... Uh, problem with some uh, some of their suppliers, some lesser saying that these some of these targets are just too aggressive and that there's no appetite on the market for this, including from Raytheon that produce some of their engines. So they're sticking to those targets. They announced this morning they're sticking to this, that they will uh, planning on producing 65 A320 planes a month in summer 2024. So previously that it would be by Q2 and they're saying summer 2023. Uh, so uh, sticking to some of these aggressive targets there. So uh, they said they, they actually they're looking at some of what the customers asking to bring planes forward rather than push them out. So they're just answering to some of the customer demand. That's why they're sticking to some of the targets. So uh, very interesting numbers there from Airbus on shares that have been up 72% just in the past 12 months, Karen.
Terrific, Charlotte. I'll pick up there. Hedge fund group Third Point, led by billionaire activist investor Dan Loeb, has called for the breakup of Shell into separate businesses. This, as it emerged that Third Point has reportedly built up a near $750 million stake in the oil company. In a letter, the group called on Shell to split up into two entities, a, quote, legacy refining unit to drive cash flow and a renewables arm to draw in investment. In response, Shell says it welcomes dialogue with all shareholders, but says it is sticking to its energy transition plan. Chinese coal companies are in free fall after the government stepped up its crackdown on, quote, profiteering in the sector. Authorities want to reduce energy price spikes, which have plagued the world's second largest economy in recent months. China's state planner said it has met with coal producers and discussed measures, including price caps. Coal futures in China hit record highs early last week, but have since halved in value. So to get this straight, As we approach the beginning of the COP event, the Chinese government has told the coal companies that they must reduce the price of coal and ultimately Beijing here is subsidising for other industries that are reliant on coking coal here. So this would seem to be somewhat at odds with the broader message we are focused on at the moment around COP that we need to get coal out of the energy mix. It's going to be a very strong narrative for the next couple of weeks, though, and I wonder what that does to prices in the sector. We're setting up for a risk event on markets, and what's the positioning going to be like on the back of it? Uh, Coming up on the programme, the European Central Bank is preparing to deliver its latest rate decision with inflation at a 13-year high. We'll be live from Frankfurt in just a few moments. And just a reminder, if you miss any of our earnings season coverage on your small screen, you can also listen in to our Squawk podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. A lot of news from central banks today as the Bank of Canada has abruptly ended its bond buying program, triggering a sell-off in Canadian government debt. The central bank said a spike in energy prices and supply chain disruptions appear more persistent than previously thought. It kept the benchmark interest rate at 0.25%, but predicted that the inflation level will hit the target level of 2% in the second or third quarter next year. That is slightly earlier than the bank's previous forecast. Uh, The ECB will deliver its latest rate decision later today. President Lagarde not expected to hike rates or adjust the pandemic stimulus package, despite inflation across the eurozone having hit a 13-year high in September. 
However, investors will be watching out for signs on how the central bank plans to tackle rising price pressures. Um, let's get out to Aneta, who joins us uh, from Frankfurt. Aneta, interesting, Karen was just referencing the Bank of Canada, which really surprised markets, I think, with the tone being a lot more hawkish than expectations. Any chance, even if we don't get any movement from the ECB today, we might hear a slightly more hawkish tone than anticipated. Well, it's rarely unlikely, I have to say, that we are going to see a complete change of tone from Christine Lagarde. We just recently heard from Philip Lane that he is still thinking that the inflation is a temporary phenomena here in the Eurozone. It will fade out during the course of next year once energy prices will come back to sort of normal levels. And I have to say, comparing to, to the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada in the past had various occasions where they really spooked and surprised markets. That's not Nothing the ECB really wants to do. Um, one could argue that they are more courageous and that let the market just settle and, 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 and digest what they've done. Uh, that's not uh, the policy um, function of the ECB. They want to uh, educate the market well ahead of what they are doing and not to surprise them. So I guess for today, we might get a change, a slight change in tone when it comes to in the inflation, but that's the most we can expect because look Looking back at the September inflation figures, the main driver is inflation, but part of that is also, for example, cars. And one could argue that this is a temporary, this is not a temporary factor and that we are clearly seeing signs that uh, parts of the inflation is venturing into a persistent uh, um, yeah, pattern, uh, not only cars, but also other products, as we're hearing that from corporate. So I guess anything on that will be super interesting from Christine Lagarde. And of course, we're also expecting her to rein in market expectations when it comes to the first rate hike, because currently the market is thinking that the ECB might hike rates for the first time by the end of 2022. And that's not what the ECB wants the market to believe. They want to avoid any unwarranted or unwanted financial tightening. And I guess this is another topic for Christine Lagarde on the table. And I don't have time anymore, but the risk uh, also to the economic outlook will uh, also be at center stage. With that, back to you. Annetta, thank you very much for setting the scene for us and also important given euro dollar is tracking around some lows for this year. So anything market moving uh, could be worth noting for the currency trade. We're going to bring you decision time later today from 1345 CET with Juliana. So tune in for that. And for more on what to expect from today's ECB meeting to get a jump on that story, you can check out cnbc.com. Um, Dan Lakai joins us, Chief Economist at Tresses uh, Gestion. Dan, very good morning to you. Look, we've, we've been busy with the earnings here, but I think what we really want to know about is how you feel about the movements in the bond market over the last 24 hours. We've seen this big flattening of the US curve. We saw the Bank of Canada surprise the markets by being more hawkish and moving quickly on QE. What is this telling us about the debate around inflation and how the bond market is interpreting some of the stagflationary risks? I think that uh, the risk of stagflation is increasing. 
It is not evident yet because the expectations of growth remain relatively stable for 2022. But it's a very concerning situation when what we see is that growth estimates are being revised down, yet inflationary expectations are being revised up. Therefore, uh, I think that the bond market is starting to react to that risk. It is not yet discounting it and definitely not stagflation, but certainly a slowdown in which uh, central banks, uh, despite uh, what we have seen from the Central Bank of Canada, which was certainly a surprise, but central banks are likely to continue to uh, uh, to, to maintain their, their position about transitory inflation, keep a very, very aggressive monetary policy, and uh, especially in the Eurozone, where the governments are not able to... Uh, ...financial conditions. Uh, we're struggling a little bit with your line here, Dan, but we'll press on. Hopefully it'll hold. Let me ask you then, um, we've seen a little bit of a pullback in markets. Europe was a bit weaker yesterday. Asia's struggling a little bit, a bit here, and we're trying to deal with understanding what the government in China is doing in terms of intervening in coal and the energy sector. Um, are we seeing a dress rehearsal here for markets actually moving into a weaker phase towards the end of the year or into early 2022? Or is there enough momentum in earnings from the corporates to sustain upside? I think we're going to see a big revision of estimates, particularly in the so-called value sectors. We are seeing uh, margin pressures and those margin pressures are more important than what were initially expected. And I also think that uh, we need to be aware of the, another important factor, which is a number of corporates are going to also produce less particularly in, in the industrial sector, than what markets expected for 2022, because you have to add on the top line the risk of the slowdown in the economy plus the risk of some shutdowns in some industries. So we're taking money out of uh, the industrial uh, segment because the risk of downgrades to me is quite important. And we're looking more at uh, growth sectors where we think that margins are more sustainable and less at risk, certainly. Dan, we've had this earnings season just absolutely littered with concerns about supply chain issues, whether that's semiconductors or elsewhere. But at the same time, we are still seeing some more hawkish central banks from the Bank of Canada to, to what we're seeing from the Bank of England. What is the strategy here? Do you think central banks are going to be as aggressive and moving towards the exit because they see inflation? It doesn't really matter what's causing it. I think central banks are caught between a rock and a hard place. You see that uh, the Central Bank of Canada, for example, is uh, more open to uh, reduce the purchases, but that's not a possibility for the Fed or for the uh, ECB. Both the Fed and the ECB need to maintain a very aggressive uh, purchase policy 
fundamentally because the government on the 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 government in the United States and the governments in the eurozone are not able to absorb an increase in rates that would uh, create a very significant increase as well in the bond yields of sovereigns uh, with the massive deficit spending plans and the huge uh, imbalances that both economies are entering into so my concern is that mm, central banks let uh, inflation run loose for a prolonged period of time. We believe that inflation will be uh, at least persistent into 2023 and ignore the monetary factors of inflation with uh, messages about supply chain disruptions. Yet, at the same time, uh, governments are not doing a lot about their deficit spending. So it's becoming a, a very difficult situation because central banks cannot taper as they probably should at this moment. And at the same time, governments have not prepared themselves for a rising government bond yields. Dan, just quickly, uh, but I want to ask you the, the question around markets and what you see, given them what we've been talking about, do you think we're more inclined to go up from here or down? I think we'll have a, a positive end of the year. There's uh, both an inflow factor that uh, tells us that uh, there's still money pouring into equities, particularly outside of bonds and into equities. So I think that markets will likely remain uh, stable to positive based on that. The fact that there's going to be downward revisions on growth estimates is also likely to put the idea on market uh, participants that easing will continue to be strong. Therefore, monetary policy also helps markets. And obviously, the uh, the, the, the impact of the uh, earnings season, particularly on the technology and the uh, more sort of growth sectors in which uh, earnings are being much better than were initially expected. Dan, just a word on uh, China as we wrap up here. Obviously, we're watching Evergrande and the the risk of um, any bond defaults, particularly for foreign investors at this stage. And then on top of that, we've now got this story around Chinese coal price controls. Um, If China is making carbon intensive industries more cost competitive, where does that leave the energy transition in Europe and the United States and the rest of the world here. Are we ultimately Mm -hmm. going to see, as we've seen with many other industries, a hollowing out in the the European and the the American energy complexes if China continues to subsidise its own energy system? That's a, that's a very important thing. I think that uh, what we're seeing is uh, that uh, the Eurozone will definitely continue with its energy transition plan. There is absolutely no change on, on that policy coming from what is going on in China. I think that the United States cannot afford to be uncompetitive in this situation. And unfortunately, there are two forces that are being created uh, right now. On the one hand, China is subsidizing the most polluting industries, which is 
making them survive for longer and delaying a very necessary uh, transition for the Chinese economy. Uh, second, it is creating a backlash in the Eurozone and in the United States from citizens against climate change combat policies. And that is very concerning because uh, a competitive energy transition is very important and uh, we should not let uh, you know a blip or a problem in the uh, in the supply chains or in the energy complex for a while uh, generate this uh, this sort of backlash so i'm concerned that china is likely to hoard more commodities generate higher price pressures and definitely pass the the bill in terms of lower growth to the eurozone in particular less so to the United States, which is obviously independent in gas and in, and almost in coal. Dan, we're going to wrap up with you there, but thanks so much for joining us this morning. Good to hear your words and uh, a, a lot for us to think about. Um, let's move on. We need to give you the Volkswagen numbers here. So um, a little bit disappointing, uh, I would say. The um, headline uh, from the business this morning, uh, third quarter operating profit down 12.1% at 2.8 billion euros. The company citing supply chain issues here as uh, the reason uh, for some of this uh, weakness. Um, They talk about the um, compare compared to the pandemic related uh, week prior year figure due to supply uh, chain issues, operating return on sales at 4.9%, which is also down from 5.4%. Third quarter revenue in at 56.9 billion euros, that's down 4.1%. The uh, company says um, the uh, third quarter operating return on sales before special items in 4.9% is against 5.4%. Volume brands affected most in the third quarter, recording operating losses in spite of having full order books. The group says, however, it expects group sales revenue in 2021 to be considerably higher in the prior year. And a lot of that will be down to some of the work already put in by Volkswagen. Because if you take the operating profit before special items through to September, it is um, 14.2 uh, billion due to the strong first half with operating return on sales of 7.6%. So the nine month figure flattering, I think, the overall performance so far for the business uh, as a result of that, as I say, that first half strength here. But this third quarter does look challenging around the supply chain issues. You will recall we've talked a lot about Volkswagen and the new auto strategy, which is meant to improve cost efficiencies at the business and help focus on new technologies. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.